0: You're listening to Yeah, That's Probably an Ad. This is the Ad Week podcast where we talk about marketing, media, technology, and pop culture. Because in the end, everything is an ad. And we're going to be talking about a lot of ads today. Uh, I am David Greiner. I'm the international editor with Ad Week. And with me, as always, is Shannon Miller, creative and inclusion editor at Ad Week. Shannon, how are you?
1: I am fantastic. How are you?
0: I'm good. I think think you and I are both going to enjoy nerding out on the topic this week. Mm Mm-hmm. It is uh, celebrities in advertising, and how that's changed over not just the years, over the decades, but I would say over this past 10 years has really been a kind of formative uh, and transformative decade for celebrities, uh, specifically in A-list celebrities popping up in what used to be considered, some might say, gauche, uh, just uh, TV ads, uh, slumming it with us uh, commoners. (laughs) And with us talk about that is the world's number one advertising and marketing historian, Robert Clara a senior editor here at AdWick, a multi-time author uh, on the on history and just our guru for all things brand history. Robert, always a pleasure to have you on the podcast.
1: It is great to be here, David. And hi, Shannon. I cannot um, articulate how excited I am for you to be here <laughs> like this. No I pressure all... on me, right? <laughs> Just an we utter only... wealth of knowledge. I'm so excited. I was like,
2: if I make you excited, you need some better guests.
1: <laughs> oh,
0: Professor Clara is always our dream uh, person to talk to about these kind of big trends that take shape over uh, long periods of time. And celebrities in advertising is certainly one that has changed so much uh, in, in our lifetime and in, honestly, the generations, uh, you know, know over the last two three generations it is night and day different so let's let's get to it okay so to provide a little context of what got us talking about this this isn't like you know necessarily hyper topical in the way that um that some of our episodes are. This is more about, I wrote a piece uh, the other day about Hyundai's ads, uh, which have featured a lot of celebrities in recent years, and we'll talk about why in a second. Um, but specifically, some of you may have seen that they've been doing this campaign called Question Everything uh, that has a lot of tie-ins. And if you're a a marketing kind of nerd, you will notice that all of those tie-ins are Disney-related, are Disney-owned properties. It's all uh, Marvel, ESPN, ABC shows, uh it's, it's all things that ladder up to Disney, and that's because of a, a bigger partnership uh, that they've created with them. And what I think is most fascinating is that it's all these actors in character... In the ads, you've got Elizabeth Olsen as Scarlet Witch. You've got Anthony Mackie as uh, Falcon, Captain America. You've got uh, uh, Tom Hiddleston as Loki, uh, and they don't half-ass it, right? Like they are—they are fully in character. They are fully engaged. They're there, and it feels like legit content in the Marvel universe, uh, thanks to like how well they produce it. And it just got me thinking: like, you wouldn't have seen this. You know, even even ten years ago, an, a, a tie-in like this, like we all know that automotive tie-ins in movies been around forever. I covered in 1996 when I was a newspaper intern. I covered the fact that Mercedes was going to be the 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 SUV that got chewed up in Jurassic Park Two. Like that's how long I've been I've been writing about this, replacing Jeep obviously in the big placement there. Um, and so, But normally, like, the ads would be lame, right? The ads would be, you know, uh, the new Highlander can handle anything. Uh, don't miss G.I. Joe in theaters <laughs> like, on July 31st. And then it would just be footage from the movie. That's changed. Now you've got the actors actually are willing to be a part of the ads. And, and we'll talk about this, but, you know, we saw A-list celebrities in Super Bowl ads quite a bit over the years but it's gone way beyond that you've got capital one you've got all these brands that have really normalized it for mega stars to be cash and checks and nobody necessarily seems to think that it reduces their the value of their brand so with all that preface Robert, let's let's go back. Uh, let's get in the wayback machine here and go to the you know we can start wherever you want. Uh, early 1900s or even the World War II era. I think most folks know that advertising really just exploded between around 1945 and 1955 as like this classic triple of budgets and everything went crazy. What are some of the earliest examples uh, of how celebrities were appearing in those ads?
2: Well, let me I'm going to take you through half century in a a warp speed here, because some of the earliest ones that I could find uh, start in the early 1900s. But I think we have to talk about what celebrity meant all those decades ago. So uh, in 1904 or so, a celebrity was Mark Twain or Babe Ruth. Right. Uh, And they did endorsements. Mark Twain uh, endorsed fountain pens and whiskey. And uh, Babe Ruth drank a lot of whiskey and endorsed tobacco. And then in the 20s, with the coming of movies and radio, you started to get those stars coming in and doing endorsements. Lily and Gish for Giardelli chocolates and all of that. But to your point, it really wasn't until the post-war era with the rise of television, uh, with the rise of media as more like we understand it today, uh, that you started to see major stars doing very, very prominent ads. And, you know, the, the, there are so many reasons for this, but one of the big ones is, apart from the uh, disintegration of the studio system in Hollywood in 1948, which freed up celebrities to put their names on whatever they wanted, in the early days of TV, it was common, as David, I'm sure you know this, uh, brands would sponsor an entire show, Right which meant that the stars of that show would talk about the brand. So you may have seen Lucille Ball and Desi Arnaz smoking Philip Morris cigarettes because Philip Morris underwrote, I love Lucy. Um, And Andy Griffith, which you had mentioned off air. Um, The fact that you saw Sheriff Andy and deputy Barney Fife eating post toasties and grape nuts was not an accident because post cereal sponsored the whole show. Um, And so I think that that, those two forces normalized this idea of leading names that you'd see on your television, hear on your radio, or you'd, you'd see them in the movies. Uh, it became normal for these people to uh, to endorse things. And then as the decades went on, uh, I mean, there's just too many to even get into. And some of them are quite funny because uh, you wouldn't see them now, uh, mainly because we don't see as many cigarette and liquor ads as, as we used to. But those used to really pay the bills for magazines and a lot of other people in the old days. Have you ever seen Ronald Reagan's famous I'm buying Chesterfields for all my friends for Christmas ad? Because there was one. Um, and yeah, I, I feel like was-
0: you, can, you can picture like any star from that era with just like a stack of cigarette cartons. And just like I, I yeah. can picture that ad with literally anybody. <laughs> Yeah,
2: from yeah, I mean, and, but for some reason, absolutely. But Chesterfield's, I don't know why it seemed like everybody smoked those. And forgive me for throwing this in because it has absolutely nothing to do with your topic. But Lucille Ball actually hated Philip Morris cigarettes, and so she used to smoke Chesterfield's, and she would sneak those cigarettes into the packs during the commercials <laughs> and smoke a competing brand. But we'll leave that off the uh, off the deck for now. Uh, Ronald Reagan and his stuff, Humphrey, Humphrey Bogart did Whitman Sampler, Doris Day Luster Cream Shampoo. You know, the funny thing about this is it became so normalized that by the time you got into the 60s and 70s, and I mean, even today, I'm always surprised why people don't notice that a lot of these endorsers have no qualifications to endorse <laughs> what they're talking about. I mean, seriously, uh, Ricardo. Yeah, do you remember Ricardo like, Montalban from the set? You're not oh, as old as I am. He used to do those Chrysler Cordoba. Yeah, the hat, rich, rich, the rich Corinthian, Corinthian letter. leather. Yeah. That, I mean, what was rich Corinthian? Never mind.
0: Anyway, well, they, the the like, I, I I feel two two things. I just want to interject because I think to you these are maybe uh, obvious, but but too many of us are, are not necessarily. But you mentioned the kind of the collapse of the really oppressive studio system in Hollywood. Yes. I really and and the kind of examples we're talking about and let's give people uh, an example here. We've got some sound, some footage here of uh, the Andy Griffiths show uh, where you've got the main characters, including Ron Howard, of course, is Opie. Like they're they're sitting around a table eating cereal, talking about sanka coffee. Let's listen to a little bit of that. For modern modern listeners, uh, will probably recognize this as very much the inspiration for like the Truman Show gags uh, about product placement. But these were separate; they were outside the plot of the show, but they were literally adds where the celebrities may, remained in character. Let, let's listen to a little of that for a second. That sure was nifty the way you got that cr- Molloy, Barney. How'd you do it? <laughs> Want to know how I wrapped up the case, do you?
2: <laughs> well, I went down to Malloy's hideout because I knew he was planning a getaway. And Barney says, Malloy, you ain't planning to get away before you have a cup of new sack of coffee that's made from a whole new blend of the world's finest coffees, are you? <laughs> really, Barney? <laughs> Well, no. You see, I had Malloy trapped in the back of this trailer. So I says, Malloy, reach. Reach? Reach for a cup of New Sanka coffee that's still 97% caffeine-free and you can drink as much as you want, anytime you want. (laughs) You know that ain't the way I wrapped up the case. I know, but that's the way we wrap up the case around here every week. (laughs) Try New Sanka, the coffee for folks who love good coffee. Outstandingly good coffee. I appreciate it and
0: good night. It, and what, what you know, the reason I bring that up uh, and something you, you kind of passed over really quickly is that I do feel like celebrities did a lot of these ads because they were kind of bound to these uh, contracts and they didn't have a lot of autonomy in the way we think of now of celebrities. And, you know, we all joke about how they're divas and stuff, but like celebrities have the ability to kind of make their own deals and and, and draw their own boundaries. But the the examples you gave, It feels like they really did not, like celebrities were just...
2: No, they they didn't. Frequently, it was the studio uh, telling them what they had to endorse. Or, uh, you know, Lucy and Desi had a great deal of autonomy for early television. But when a sponsor came along with enough money to underwrite the show, chances are they were going to go with that brand, whether they liked it or not. And, um, you know, okay, so Andy Griffith sitting down to some post-toasties. You could believe that Sheriff Andy... I mean, you know, what do you need to know to know about serial, right? Yeah. Um, so and the like writing—the
0: writing was good. Like the writing, and was the legit. writing
2: was good. It was believable. But the the but as time went on, some of this stuff was uh, just you know very very strange uh, in terms of. I just I wonder how many people scratch their heads over. Uh, Doris Day in 1949 endorsing uh, steamrollers for International Harvester, for example, um, and that's not an <laughs> old example. Listen, Kim Kardashian used to hawk Charmin toilet tissue, um, Snoop Dogg and Hot Pockets. Remember that? And and my personal favorite, Ozzy Osbourne uh, promoting, I can't believe it's not butter, and that was only 2006. Now, Ozzy is lucky he knows how to use a stove, let alone distinguish between butter and margarine. Um, but, you know, I think what this says to us is that so long as we're not buying something that is highly technical or something that's liable to kill us if we don't use it properly, uh, we're happy to follow celebrities. We're happy to
0: use what they use. And and I feel like the, the 70s were really this um, era where uh, and I know we're we're jumping around a bit chronology, but, you know, that's when you started to see a lot of the most head scratching of these. And it was often athletes, right? Like athletes would sign these yeah, you, endorsement deals that have nothing to do with their sport, with them personally. You still see some of that, especially with soccer stars, like soccer stars globally. I still see ads where I'm just like, what does this have to do with anything this person totally, yeah. does? And,
2: you know, what's interesting about that is you you have to and I'm not a sports guy. But I think a lot of this started with the emergence of free agency, right, which is analogous to the dissolution of the studio system in Hollywood. Right. When you had more autonomy coming into the celebrity's life uh, and professional athletes were always celebrities in one way or another, but they didn't always have the freedom. Uh, But today and when I say today, I'm talking last 20 years or so. Um yeah, I mean David Beckham could probably say a few things about Adidas, right? So did was that deal that he did for 160 million dollars uh money well spent? I, probably, right? Um but well, you know,
0: I, let's let's draw one important distinction too because I think I think this has come up a bit, but I do think it's an important distinction is magazine ads, print ads yep. still have always been and kind of remain uh, fair, fair play, right? Like a celebrity, that you can literally be the biggest star on the planet and do a watch ad, a fragrance ad, a fashion ad. Not one person's ever going to blink at that, right? You, you're not surprised at all when you see, uh, you know, a Brad Pitt or a whoever in a, in a print ad wearing a, right. a watch that costs more than my house, you know? Um, but that's not necessarily where, like, so so probably because of just this legacy that you're talking about, everyone's always kind of been like, yeah, print ads, they're very controlled. You can Photoshop the ever-living shit out of it. You know, okay. it's just like yep. you, it's a very controlled environment. TV ads. So so tell us about this kind of rise of TV ads and why and when celebrities started to be a little cautious about what it could do to their image if they're just popping up in in ads, was that the 70s and 80s, or like when do you really start see people? Well, like- it's
2: it's funny because I remember when I was a kid seeing Muhammad Ali doing spots for Decon Roach Bait, and yeah, and yeah. and it didn't register as unduly strange the way it does now. But I think we have to talk about when endorsements cross the line into the really really mega deals that we're seeing today where you're not just talking about an endorser, not just talking about a guy wearing a watch in an ad or Brad Pitt talking about cereal or whatever it was. Um, uh, Celebrities are now doing deals where they're called the face of the brand, right? Or they get multi-year deals to be brand ambassador. And that is when I think you have to start looking at how these deals are crafted and how much sense they make. And I think that a lot more care goes into that now. Um, because I don't think anybody remembered Doris Day sitting on a steamroller. But if a celebrity signs uh, an eight year deal or a lifetime deal, which you actually see now, I think that there has to be a lot more thought that goes into the synergy between the brand and the celebrity and and also just questions of uh, of credibility. and And just not to talk your head off, but I want to add one more thing. The big deal that that maybe there were two of these that really opened the door to this. Michael Jordan signing with Nike in 1984, uh, and he reportedly made 100 million every year off of that deal. And then Michael Jackson with the Coke, uh, Mm. I'm sorry, Pepsi deal in 1986. That was a 50 million dollar deal. That was utterly historic. And I think that once we entered that era, we started playing a different game with a great deal of money but also a great deal of scrutiny, because to your point, they have to show up in these ads and be pitchmen. Then it has to be believable. And is it believable? Well, in the case of Tiger Woods, who I doubt really drove a Buick every day of his life, I would argue that it wasn't so believable. Um, But in other cases, yeah. And, you know, uh, can I give a shout out to Little Nas X, who just got a deal with Taco Bell a couple of days ago? Um, Listen, he used to work at Taco Bell just 5 years ago and now i checked his net worth it's supposedly around 14 million so he's done really well for himself hey that is a deal that i think makes some sense um and i'm sure that in these meetings there is a lot more attention paid to that synergy and how much how much of it is there
0: so before we kind of get to this this transition of celebrities starting to normalize (laughs) that we talked about in the last 10 years or so. Shannon, I'm curious, when you think of celebrities in ads, um, what do you think of, like, from your childhood? Like, which celebrities do you remember being in ads? And was it, like, Super Bowl? Was it, like, what kind of ads was it?
1: I mean, the first time that I registered that, oh, this is an important person um, in this ad was the bow nose endorsements with Nike. Um, I couldn't tell you what they were selling. I, I didn't even remember what they were selling until about 48 hours ago. Um, but you remember Bo knows baseball, Bo knows football, and it, it was a partnership with Nike. And that sort of endorsement kind of informed my childhood. Between that and I want to be like Mike, though that sort of celebrity, that grade of like sports celebrity Was such a huge deal, and it sort of culminated in um, Space Jam for me. That's like kind of the weird thing that um, really informed like our young relationship um, or our youth, the relationship that we had with um, advertising in our youth. Now it's really shifted, Um, and I think that has a lot to do not with the rise of the celebrity, but with the rise of the influencer and how that provided real competition um, for these celebrities. Because before it was, I don't have time to come down from my ivory tower to hawk, you know, vacuums. But now we're in this era where technically anybody can be a celebrity. I mean, not to rag on her, because I think it's just kind of old to rag on her, but Kim Kardashian, famous for nothing, essentially. But can hook a huge endorsement. And at the end of the day, that is less money out of a celebrity's pocket, out of another celebrity's pocket. And I think that once they realized that that competition was there, that brands could turn to Instagram um, influencers or now TikTok influencers for a lot less money um, and still you know, sell what they need to sell. Now, I think we're starting to see a little bit more of that competitive spirit. Um, with that, I don't know if that answered your question, but it was,
0: yeah, no, it's, I I think that's a great, great summary of how that's changed. And I, and I feel like the, that there is that pressure of relevance, right? Mm -hmm. That celebrities used to not sweat relevance. And so they could pass on a lot of these what I'm sure were lucrative TV advertising deals. Um, but, you know, to Robert's example of Ricardo Montalban, I think that was kind of about as high up, high level of a celebrity as you would really see in TV ads, like in day-to-day TV ads. Maybe a voiceover. For those of us who've covered advertising for a long time, and this is still kind of the case. Uh, I don't think the public knows about this. That a a mega celebrity will do the voiceover for like a, you know, a Lowe's or whoever. They will never acknowledge it. And they they will, like, if we ask them to confirm, oh, was that Nick Offerman? Was that whoever? They will to this day be like, we will not confirm that. So there remains these lingering perceptions that it reduces your brand value to acknowledge that you've done ads. Like those ads that a lot of celebrities made overseas, they weren't secret. You just didn't acknowledge them, right? Mm-hmm. Because it was just something that somehow devalued the brand and of course this ends up being like a plot point in uh, Lost in Translation making fun of this idea of celebrities going overseas to do ads in Japan and and there are many YouTube clips of, you know, Brad Pitt and all these folks doing these um doing these ads overseas. But uh, I want to say that the person who changed everything is George Clooney. And I'm curious, Robert, if you agree, this is something that we've kind of watched in real time as someone I've, I've been writing for Adweek for 15 years now. And in that time, I remember seeing George Clooney's first ads for Nespresso and they were, I'm going to say not good, uh, not necessarily bad. They were inoffensive they were literally just him being like I drink nespresso what else or whatever you know it's like literally just the most just flat ad and you're just like that is a handsome man drinking one shot of espresso uh, that got better you know I just remember at the time it was like whoa he's in but those ads only ran in Europe and then that was around I want to say like 2006. And then 20, like jumped to like 2015, he finally comes to America, right? They start, McCann, New York, starts making these ads uh, for Nespresso, uh, still with George Clooney. And they're good. Like they're legit good ads. They're actually some of my favorite ads of all time. They don't really make necessarily great audio. Uh, This is uh, uh, George Clooney talking to Andy Garcia. Uh, and of course, I don't know, in some sort of espresso centric conversation. Uh and then it ends up like George Clooney just gets embedded in a bunch of footage from classic Hollywood films about road trips, or in the case of psycho, I guess I guess short-lived road trips. And so I, I feel like if you're an actor and you see George Clooney just doing just normal ads, not Super Bowl, just like doing ads for instant uh, I mean, I don't know, not instant, but you know, these one shot espresso things. Uh like, who's above George Clooney? Like, nobody. Nobody's going to be like, oh, I'm better than him. Uh, and you even saw, like, Mariah Carey and some of these famous divas, like, start doing ads for, like, almost playing off that image, right? Like, having fun with the idea that they don't do ads for other stuff or for anything. I don't know, Robert, that's my that's my take on who kind of personally made it okay in that way that you hear a lot of people say Alec Baldwin made it okay to do TV, Right. Yeah. TV.
2: I agree with you. And I think you're raising a really important point. And now ha- stating for the record, it's been at least three weeks since George and I have had lunch. Um, But if I were to just guess um, and I think this probably applies to a lot of celebrities. I think if you're earlier in your career and, you know, your films matter a lot more, you have less money in the bank you're a lot more image conscious and, you know, you might not want to have these commercials be what you're best known for, uh, you know, if you're trying to build your career or you're at the peak of your career. Uh, But, you know, when you start to gray in the temples a little bit, I think that it is, you know, not as, uh, you know, I, I don't, I've seen pictures of George Clooney's house on Lake Como. I don't think he's hurting these days. I don't think he needs a lot of Nespresso money either. So you know, I feel like the stakes are a little lower for him. But I agree, he was hugely influential. The other thing that I'll add is, and I mean, we keep defaulting to poor Brad Pitt and his cereal, right? Um, Did he really do a cereal ad? Or you I just think that it up? was a cereal, and I think it was somewhere in the Far East, and I I have to look it up. But it was something as corny as that, right? So now, if you're uh, an American sex symbol and you have to sit there with a a spoonful of wheat cereal uh hanging in front of your face that's a tough one right um but you know i think george clooney had the built-in advantage of listen he's a suave gentleman and they drink coffee so i don't think it was a huge stretch for him the same this in the same way that a uh, uh you know an, an athlete like roger Federer what's that watch deal he did i forget the brand now i mean look watches are sexy right i heck, I'd be happy to endorse a You know, hundred thousand dollar watch, no problemo. Uh, Any, I
0: think, literally, anyone can stand next to a plane and hold a watch up to a camera, and you're done. Like that's right. it, and
2: and and act like this is really my G6. And you know, but when you're talking about other products that you know maybe aren't as uh, you know, oh, toilet paper or uh, Metamucil or whatever. Right. I think that changes the game for a lot of celebrities. And I want to mention one other thing before I forget, because a few weeks ago I was actually joking with somebody about rich Corinthian leather. And I I I uh, looked up this interview with Ricardo Montalban, who is very who was totally upfront about this and basically said, listen, before that Wrath of Khan thing came along, um, the Chrysler Cordova paid my mortgage. You know? And so I think you have to look at the level of celebrity that you're talking about and where they're at in their career and how embarrassing is what you're promoting. And I well, think a decent cup of coffee and an expensive watch, no big
0: deal, you know? The the other campaign that I think everyone will recognize, and it's become so normal now that you don't think twice about it, is Capital One, right? You see Capital One and Samuel L. Jackson is about as big of a name as you could. I mean, I know he's everywhere. It's not like the guy says no to a lot of stuff, but he's not like quite Snoop Dogg levels of just like, sure, whatever, you know, I'll sign whatever paper you put in front of me. Like Samuel Jackson's a big get. Spike Lee, big get. And, you know, Charles Barkley, I don't know, maybe not so much, but like they, you know, the, every time I see those or Jennifer Garner or whoever, I'm like, these are, these are big damn names uh, who would never have done a TV ad uh, at the height of their fame in the 80s when it was considered, uh, you know, gauche to, to do this. Um, and, and so I really do think the Capital One, like, a, a is a great example. But also, to Robert's point, these things, it, it, for those who don't know, advertising is one of the only forms of, I don't know what you'd call it, like recording, you know, work you can do that pays residuals. Like the more it runs, the more you get paid. That's rare. Uh, I mean, there's a, there's some TV shows and stuff like that. But like, honestly, in terms of the long term, I know, I know people who started ads or did voiceover for ads years ago who are still getting pretty good checks because the brand's just like, hey, it's still working. Keep running it. And yeah, if your career, which we all know, Hollywood celebrities, we assume, are just always doing great. And the reality is, especially when you hit a certain age. You probably don't have as many offers coming in. You don't have, like, these big roles. Now that said, let's talk about one big exception who has come up once or twice on this podcast. And I think here's what's interesting is when I was talking to the folks behind the Hyundai ads that we started out with, right, and talking about these Disney Plus ads – and I said, so you all have done quite a lot of celebrity ads in recent years. Jason Bateman, uh, Mindy Kaling, uh, John Krasinski, right? The SmartPak, uh Super Bowl ad that was such a hit for them uh, with Chris Evans. And I was like, so how did you get started on that? How did you start using celebrities? Like, what, what do you think was the origin story of that? And then they said a name, and I'm just going to be straight with everyone who listens to this. I forgot this ad existed. They were like, oh, well, I guess it would be the Ryan Reynolds ad. And I'm sitting there in the back of my head, being like, Ryan Reynolds made a Hyundai ad, and I did not remember this. But it's because he just had not permeated my, like my own kind of world, um, the. It was like 2016, I want to say. It was Super Bowl mm-hmm. ad, and the concept is that everyone in this entire town is Ryan Reynolds. And these two women are driving through town, and literally everyone is Ryan Reynolds. And they get distracted, and then they almost hit Ryan Reynolds, of course, crossing a street. Sadly, like he's walking dogs, and the dogs aren't Ryan Reynolds. I, I really want to be a part of the creative debate where they were like, should the dogs be Ryan Reynolds? <laughs> but anyway, so they almost hit him. And the ad is for like how Hyundai stops if you're distracted, like the Hyundai mm-hmm. stop. So anyway, they said the response to that and then a Kevin Hart ad that they ran at the same time as part of that same campaign. The response was so good. The actors treated it so seriously, like were so involved that they were like, oh, you know, this works. We should do more of these. And then that's what they said that Jason Bateman would never have agreed to that elevator Super Bowl ad. If you remember that one, they were mm-hmm. like, he would never have agreed to that if he couldn't look at these other ads and be like, oh, okay, you did right by them. Like those celebrities ended up looking better, not worse because of their ads. And so now I think we think of Ryan Reynolds as kind of just a a de facto, uh, you know, mayor of advertising. Like the guy is just always in everything. But I thought that was really interesting that, that even before he was the advertising figure that we really think of and running his own ad agency and doing all this other stuff, that that kind of got them thinking ah, we should do more of these, and and then they admitted, yeah, celebrities are just a little more receptive, but but they said they're receptive if you can show a track record of doing right by them.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess where are there any? This is a question for either of you. Like, w- what stigmas are still remain? Like, what are you not allowed to do as a celebrity that and maybe those lines are blurring? To Shannon's point, I think that there are certain things that that celebrities might not do and then now are realizing influencers will do them anyway and that mm-hmm. they'll just lose that money, uh, Like whether it's, hey, look at me with this product or wh- or whatever. I don't know. Robert, are there any stigmas? Boy,
2: oh boy, I feel too old to answer this question, at least as, as it relates to, uh, to influencers. I, I'm going to hazard a guess here and say that I still think that celebrities are reluctant to get into social issue type stuff. Uh, or anything that might be perceived as political,
0: unless it's uh, like something that no one can disagree with, like I like clean water is one. That, right, yeah. That every right, celebrity is like water, I want clean um, water.
2: Right, don't dump PCBs into the river. Sure, uh, but you know, as I was doing some research earlier this morning, uh, with the exception of I guess Tim Tebow, who had did who had done some spot. Uh, I don't know the context. I think it dealt with abortion, if I'm not mistaken, some right to life thing. It was uh, a number of years ago. And, you know, he's a man of very deep religious faith. So, you know, that made sense to him and to his brand. I don't really think you'd see a garden variety Hollywood celebrity getting anywhere near a lot of social issues, um, especially because you have... um, you know, we, we live in a, a more polarized country than we have arguably since the end of Vietnam. Right. And um, uh, if, if you're going to say something that will be interpreted as uh, sociopolitically uh, uh, polarizing, yeah, you're going to alienate 50 percent of your customer base. So who on earth wants to do that? Right. I don't think a celebrity would. I, I don't think that they're even under pressure because I don't think brands want to do it either um and so i that that is one thing the other hazard and i don't know uh, this may not answer your question um david but you know i got to thinking after i was looking at lucy and Desi um about how much the celebrity is expected to actually use these brands in his or her real life and what happens if they don't right and what those risks are for the brand and for them and i'm going going back a few years you might remember this When Anna Nicole Smith was found dead in 2007 uh, in the refrigerator of her apartment were a bunch of bottles of slim fast, the diet drink. The problem is that trim spa had paid Anna Nicole Smith to endorse its diet drink. And that was in headlines for like two weeks. Um, It was, it was, it was very grim. I mean, in fact, the, the, the slim fast bottles made more news than the fact that there was methadone in her refrigerator, right? So I feel like there are some risks here in terms of, um, you know, if if Tiger Woods pulled up to his club in a Lamborghini and not a Buick, is that a problem for Buick? I don't know. I've never seen these contracts, so I'm not sure. Uh, so I think it there's a matter of, you know, the personal use clause, I guess you might say um and also the the political uh the political risk but uh, I'd be interested to know what Shannon has to say about this.
0: Yeah, Sh- Shannon specifically too I'm curious like I think something we hear now with musicians you hear this a lot with musicians probably true of athletes is that they're excited to do ads, right? Like I remember like I I heard in a, an interview with Migos where they were talking about how stoked they were to do uh like what was it a Mountain Dew ad or whatever it's like I do think that rising talent because of all these issues we've talked about with the mainstreaming of A-list talent being part of marketing and uh, and athletes being a, such a huge part of marketing for this generation that's coming up now, that's all they've ever known is this era of post-Michael Jordan multi-million dollar deals. But is there anything they don't want to do or that's still like, um, you know, that they're like, well, I just want to avoid doing this kind of work?
1: You know, it's hard to say because I find these days that there aren't, there isn't much that celebrities won't do for attention. (laughs) Um, So it's a little tough. Um, But uh, what I will say, um, it was interesting that you brought up musicians because the thing that stood out the most to me um, when you asked that question um, was that for musicians, I think they're more excited for themselves to be featured in advertising than for their music to be in, featured in advertising. Um, at least music that they are like, that they hold like near and dear. Um, Cause like growing up, there were like three major indicators that like something was going out to pasture, whether it was like your personal brand or whatever you produce it's you ended up on the surreal life. Um, you did dancing with the stars or your song ended up in, like, a car ad. So they are, like, these sort of touchstones of um, kind of, like, the idea of losing your relevancy, where I'm not sure that five years ago we would have gotten Vax that thing up. Um, Just because what does that mean when your song's being modified for any sort of advertising or PSA? But now... Um, there is this idea of, like, I can make sure that this song is used as more of a tribute than as just this thing to, like, hawk pills or or hawk a diet drink. And so I think that there is more... um, There's more care in that aspect of endorsement, where it's, like, I'm more than willing to put my work, my creative um, property um, in the mix, but we need to make sure that it's done the right way. Um, like a kind of weird example, just like recently we got a, a pitch about an ad involving um, Montel Jordan. And like Montel Jordan is Mr. This is how we do it. And they knew that. So they said like, we're bringing back this is how we do it and then you heard the song we're like no you're not <laughs> like this is not what this is it was like very very loosely like connected that's something you probably don't want to do and i think that a lot of celebrities
0: there'd be like having uh, ashton kutcher sing uh wasn't me uh,
1: <laughs> we're not doing that here that was genius <laughs> <laughs> that was, I, oh, I am pro, oh. no, no, obviously the Cutchers, the, the Kutcher's being involved with that. I was like, we don't get this, but I am pro Shaggy writing out that song. <laughs> oh yeah, no,
0: I am, I am too. <laughs> I just was a little, people were like, didn't you love that ad? You love Shaggy. I was like, I love Shaggy. And that's why I did not love that ad.
1: <laughs> no, who, who eats Cheetos and then promptly touches walls? We're not barbarians. It made no sense. But like, I think in that case... Um, that was an opportunity to sort of give Shaggy his flowers, and I think he probably understood that yeah. and was far more willing to do something like that, um, as opposed to like, I don't know, like now I'm running out of examples of like times when you heard music and you're like, ugh, why are we doing well, I, this? I, I, Shannon, I think
2: you're you're raising such a good point, and I I I'm going to jump in with another useless uh, history story, if I may, because. Please. No, because I think to your point, and I don't know a thing about Shaggy. uh, (laughs) However, I feel like if a song has already peaked, if it's already kind of had its cultural moment and it can be retread for a commercial, that's a very different thing Mm -hmm. than if a musical artist is uh, either at the peak of his or her fame or, uh, you know, they have a hot tune and I, so I think the timing is really critical. And what this reminds me of, and I think this was around 1970 or so, I know this is true, though, the doors had been approached by Buick. I, I, I seem to be really breaking on Buick in this hour, but uh, Buick showed up and offered the doors $75,000, which is a lot of money back then, to rewrite Light My Fire for use in a Buick ad. And Jim Morrison was supposed to sing, Come on, Buick, light my fire.
1: Oh, no. (laughs) And
2: I can't repeat what Jim Morrison said to the Buick executives on this family podcast. (laughs) But they turned the money down and they walked away. Now, obviously, in retrospect, that looks really smart and cool and everything, right? I'm guessing at the time their manager probably had a fit over turning the money down. But I think that it raises the whole point of, you know, when are you doing these deals? Right. And and what do they want to do with your music? And yeah. so if you've already had your time on the charts and it's time to have a good retro laugh, I think that's one thing. If you're still kind of in the cultural milieu of a hit, it's kind of probably different. It's my guess.
1: And the only exception to that, um, like literally the only exception that I can think to of that is BTS Butter, which is mm-hmm. now quickly becoming a um, advertising tentpole, like as it was entering the charts, like there was already, yeah. and there's probably a whole separate podcast um, episode that nobody wants to listen to from me about why that probably is. Um, but <laughs> yeah, that, that's that'll exactly be the one it.
0: where we will revisit the era where Hayes Hey Soul Sister was on every single ad. <laughs> <laughs> the, 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 the sad forgotten train era oh um, <laughs> no I, I I think I think Robert's absolutely right and the and we should point out there's also this kind of famous moment where the Rolling Stones were paid three million dollars for mm-hmm. start me up uh for to for Microsoft that was an unheard- of amount uh, like the idea that anyone would say the the word millions plural for a song usage mm-hmm. uh, I, I I like uh for those who don't know and I'm from Alabama but that's the It's not specific to this. It's just uh, Sweet Home Alabama is famously the most expensive song you can license. Uh, So whenever you hear Sweet Home Alabama, just know, just know someone paid a phenomenal amount of money. Really, Uh, I I have been part of the license. I had no
2: idea about that. Why why is that, David?
0: Uh, Skinner knows they can get it. Um, Yeah, I guess. I mean, they just, it has nothing to do with Alabama. Of course, no. I say this as a as a native son of the state. Uh, it is it is solely because of that guitar riff, right? Um, yeah. And so it was in I want to say like a KFC ad for a while. Anyway, it is it is a small fortune to license that song. So if you ever hear it in a movie or in an ad, just know, uh, just know it's it's a lot. Uh, but um, the you know so uh, the the Rolling Stones agreeing you know getting the Microsoft to sign a check for three million bucks for a song that was not hot. The kids weren't sitting around listening to Start Me Up by the Rolling Stones in 1995. Uh, but it just kind of, like, took things to this this new level. Now, something you both have touched on, but I think we all are kind of aware of, is that creative, like, ads and consumers, if you put a famous musician, if you put Olivia Rodrigo in an ad tomorrow, right, Shannon, um, the creative is going to pitch that she's singing Good For You, right? or or maybe driver's license or something but like it's going to be a hit song. It's going to be the reason you know Olivia Rodrigo is going to be in that ad. Olivia Rodrigo is not going to want that, right? Right. She's going to want her new song to be in there. Mm-hmm. That is like the classic tension, right? So I think you still see this play out where they're like it's this ad's going to feature so and so's new song and and you could just know that the ad agency was like but could you do good for you? How about we start <laughs> with good? For you? And then they'll just be like, no, we're doing my new track. Right. Um, and so sometimes that can lead to some really cool stuff uh, like, you know, Billie Eilish's track for the Apple Christmas ad a few years ago. Billie Eilish wasn't mega famous yet, but that was a new track, you know, so you could be a big fan of hers and be like, oh, this is a beautiful song. And it was literally made for this this ad. It's brand new versus the ones where they're just like they use it as a launch vehicle for some mediocre sophomore hit. You know, those are the ones where it's just like, "Ooh." I don't know if this was worth what they paid uh, mm-hmm. to get this person out there. So, uh, But we have probably bridged well into uh, many – it just goes to show we could have five other episodes about all these uh, tangents that we've started. But uh, we'll, we'll go ahead and wrap it up there. This has been exactly the kind of conversation I was excited to have as we talked about the, the evolution of celebrities, the mainstreaming of it. We want to hear from you as the listener uh, about what are your favorite celebs? Which ones do you think of from your childhood? Uh, which ones have you enjoyed more recently where you're just like, oh, that's a pretty good use of the celebrity. You can uh, email us at podcast at adweek.com. That's podcast at adweek.com. So, so let us know. Robert, such a pleasure. Uh, everyone should check out Robert Clara on Adweek. Buy his books. Uh, he, I have found multiple Robert Clara books at my bookstore. Uh, so just check the, the K section of the nonfiction. You'll find him. Uh, Robert, such a pleasure to have
2: you uh, my pleasure david and shannon uh, thanks for having me
1: absolutely
0: all right shannon thanks so much for all your insights uh and and now we're all going to be like hyper hyper aware of any celebrity ad so we're just gonna be like oh there it is that's the, that's <laughs> the next one so i'm sure it'll come up again
1: quick shout out to um the pepsi ad featuring beyonce britney spears and pink changed my life <laughs> okay. brava brava
0: yes um has t- Taylor Swift done ads? I feel like I should know that off the top of my head, but like, sure,
1: surely. yeah, surely. I'm gonna yeah. say yes.
0: I mean, they all do. You got you got Bieber in ads. You got everybody's in ads now. So I really do think there, whatever stigma there ever was, it's long gone. All right. Uh, This has been a great conversation. Our theme music is by Home. This week's episode was produced by Nick Gardner and edited by Lane McGiboney. If you haven't already, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Those reviews mean a lot to us personally, and they help new listeners discover the show. Uh, For Adweek, I'm David Greiner, and we will be back next week.